And isn't that a reflection of Jesus, the Lord who was free from all, the sovereign God Almighty, under no obligation at all to any of us as his creatures, and yet he became a servant to all, going so far as to die on the cross in order to save all those whom the Father had given to him from among the nations. And that is a scandal of Christmas, we can say, right? The lofty creator became a lowly creature in love in order to share with his creatures the blessing of his glorious grace. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor and here in the office with Pastor Daniel Ventura. Good to be with you, brother. Good to be here, brother. We are in the Advent season and in the midst of our sermon series through the servant songs in Isaiah. But before we dive into that study, I'd just like to ask you a fun question. What's your favorite Christmas holiday drink? I think my favorite is definitely eggnog. Mm. Uh, my wife, Brooke, makes really good homemade eggnog. And so I enjoy it just by itself with a little nutmeg, or I even put it in my coffee, believe it or not. Oh, okay, nice. I have to try that. Yeah. I don't know if I've tried that before. How right. about you, brother? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, one of my favorites is called Champurrado. It's this warm Mexican beverage made with masa de maíz, so finely ground corn, which makes it quite hmm. thick in texture, and it's chocolatey in flavor and warm. It's a great beverage for That's Christmas nice. season. Yeah, it Sounds really good. Yeah, you have to try it. All right, so let's dive into our study. What was the scripture passage that you preached this past Sunday, and what was the main point? Yeah, so our focus was Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. This is the second uh, servant song out of the four. And uh, the main takeaway here is that we're called to listen to God's final and ultimate prophet, the servant of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, uh, because he is God's light to the nations. And in light of that as well, as those united to this exalted servant, Jesus, by true faith, we are called to proclaim what he has done uh, to the ends of the earth as prophets who have been anointed by him. And this ties in a little bit with um, Heidelberg 32, uh, when it asks us in our particular role, you know, why are you called a Christian? And there it highlights how we are members of Christ by faith, and so we share in his anointed. And the first thing that he says we're anointed to do is to confess his name. And there you kind of see... You might call it our prophetic office, you know, little p, in regards to the need to confess Christ in this world. And you see that as well in the New Testament, right? With, you know, 1 Peter, uh, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so I just love that um, that connection between Christ's prophetic role and then what we're called to do as well. So Pastor Daniel, is there any vivid imagery in this text that helps us see what it's telling us here? Yes, you know, the main point of this passage is how Jesus is, you know, God's prophet. And that that language that connects with Jesus being a prophet comes through throughout this passage. Uh, The opening verse is is really important where the servant says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. And that language through Isaiah of, you know, listening to me is often used of God throughout Isaiah. And so it's fascinating that the servant would actually say, right, listen to me. He's not just any prophet of God, but he is God himself in in human flesh, the servant who's come. And there's prophetic language as well about how he's called from the womb. You might think of that connection with Jeremiah and being called from the womb to be set apart as a prophet. 
the servant here says that he was given a name in his mother's womb. And we see that in the New Testament fulfilled with Jesus, right? Um, the angel tells Joseph that, you know, Mary will have a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, the servant here speaks about how his mouth is being made like a sharp sword. And that's another beautiful image of how this servant will come and conquer. It's not through the physical sword, uh, but it's through the, the sword of the word of God, accompanied by the spirit of God. And this is what he is being prepared to do, to come and bring the word of God fully um, to this earth as God's servant. I want to circle back to that first one you mentioned there, the listen to me. I remember in the sermon that stood out. The fact that you mentioned throughout Isaiah, whenever we find that phrase, that it is the Lord God himself who says, mm. listen to me. And we actually see that just in the chapter before, mm. chapter 48, verse 12, which says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. We see that same language, just like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, God himself saying, I am, which we know that Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, mm -hmm. especially in the Gospel of John, is declaring that I am. Mm -hmm. uh, the I am statements of Jesus, including I am the light of the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so just remarkable. Mm -hmm. And that he says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar, mm -hmm. speaking not only to the people of Israel, but yeah. this light, this good news uh, this word of grace reaching all the way to the ends of the earth, including us who have come to believe in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it reminds us of our job as a church, right? Our, our primary job as a church is to listen to Jesus mm -hmm. in a world where everyone has a new thing to say and a word to fix it all. And uh, we have different figures that kind of rise up and claim to be the solution mm -hmm. to the problems in your life and the world. Well, I'm happy to say that I don't have a solution mm -hmm. to fix anyone that I have come up with myself. I don't have the answers, but Jesus does, mm -hmm. and he will resolve every problem in the end. He is the solution that God has sent for us. Yeah, our task is to listen to Jesus and then speak Jesus's word to others. So don't ask me what my sermon's going to be on Sunday, on Monday or Tuesday, because I still need to study God's word and listen to it to figure out what he has to say to his people. You first have to dive into the God's word and study it and discover from the text itself what God wants to say to his people this week. It's not me coming up with new catchphrases or 10-step solutions or mantras in order to help lift people up out of their problems. No, my job is to carefully listen to Jesus and then share his word mm -hmm. with others faithfully. Yeah, that's a really good word, brother. I, I'm reminded as you were talking of uh, you know the New Testament account of Mary and Martha and how Mary chose that good portion by just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. And, you know, that's just an encouragement for all of us, whether we're pastors or, or those in the pew, that as we open God's word, we, we make this our prayer together. Lord, help me to help me to listen and to hear the voice of Christ as I read the scriptures this morning or this evening. Right. Help me to, to take in what, what, what you said. There's um, there's some other imagery here as well that that highlights who Jesus is and um, a lot of the imagery towards the second half of this song points to Jesus as the light and as the glory of his people Israel. There we see again the kind of multifaceted nature of Jesus's mission. He's come to, to, to redeem Israel and to bring Israel back to God, the nation. Uh, but that's not it. Uh, verse 6 says, 
It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. And there you see kind of the worldwide scope of Jesus's mission, that it's not just to bring one nation back to God, but all nations back to God. And of course, that is God's original promise that he made in the beginning uh, before the nation of Israel was created. He gave that great promise to Abraham saying to him, you know, in you, Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Mm. And so for a season, yes, God narrows in on Israel. But in the New Testament, we see his promise again come to fruition and blossom as the nations are gathered uh, back to God through the work of this servant. You know, that reality that God sent his son into the world for the nations to bring salvation to them, it comes out in Luke's gospel in chapter two, where the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds. They're watching their field by night after Jesus was born and they were filled with great fear and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Mm. We're reminded that even when Christ entered into the world and was born, God was delighting to declare that this is good news for all people, mm. not just for the Jewish people, but for all nations. And I think that's part of the good news that we've forgotten, that maybe we assume now we're too familiar with it, we're kind of like mm. spoiled kids that have had a good thing for too long, and we've forgotten that it didn't belong to us to begin with, uh, that salvation is this big, surprising gift that God has given to the world, including us into his church, into his people. Mm. Amen. And that imagery of Christ as the light to the nations is just a beautiful image, especially as we think about that dark backdrop to the Christmas story that, you know, we're a world that has turned aside from the Lord, that we have sinned. And what we deserve from a holy God is his justice and his condemnation because of our sins. But instead, Jesus comes as the light to bring hope into this world, hope for sinners And it's not just hope to free us from our bad circumstances and to free us from the things that that ail us uh, on this earth, but it's ultimately the hope of forgiveness of sins and life eternal with God. And yes, Jesus is also a Savior who does bring full justice. He will liberate uh, his people in the end from, from all ungodly circumstances and darkness. But he came first to deal with the heart issue of all of our ails, which is our sin. And he does this again, not only for Israel, but for all nations. And this also would have comforted, you know, the people in Isaiah's day as they were suffering um, terrible circumstances because of their sin, right? They were suffering exile and being under foreign rulers and just being humbled as a people. Uh, But here's this servant who is going to come and be the light, not only for Israel, but for the nations and to deal with the the issue of uh, our wayward hearts and to bring us back to God. And um, when we think about Jesus as the light, uh, we also think about how, as God's people, we are called to reflect that. And, and brother, how are we to be the light of the world as God's people as well? Yeah, it is fascinating that in John's gospel, in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then also in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares to his disciples that you are the light of the world. Hmm. And so... How is it that we have become the light of the world? It's by abiding in the light of Jesus, his truth and love, union with Christ. We also find in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 10, 
a passage which helps us understand what it means to walk in the light. He says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Speaking of God's essence, his, his being, he is light and purity, holiness, truth. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So one of the things that John is showing us here in this passage is that walking in the light of God is not acting like we are perfect. It's not saying I haven't sinned or I am sinless. It's rather the opposite. It's admitting that we are not perfect and that only Jesus is and that we need to rest in his love and his light for us, his uh, ability to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as John declares there. And Isaiah here is calling us to behold the one that had it all together because he alone can hold us together, Jesus. He wants us to behold the light that comes from God, which is Jesus, because we don't have light in ourselves. Like you were saying, Pastor Daniel, this world is full of darkness and the darkness dwells in our own hearts too. All the light of truth, grace, and love that we now emit as Christians in the world It is light that is shining through us by our union with Christ, the one who alone is light and the source of light. And he has chosen us, his church, to kind of be like a glass lantern uh, through which he shines. And so he is the source of the light and he is shining through us by our union with him as we're connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And when a Christian is shining with virtues and goodness and excellence in the world, Jesus is shining through the Christian. And if we want to shine more brightly for Christ, how do we do that? We need to lean more and more into our union with him by opening up about how broken and needy we are of his healing grace instead of acting like we have it all together. And so that's how I see the connection between what Jesus says about us being the light of the world and he himself who is the light. It's by our union with him and leaning into his grace and truth and being honest about our own brokenness that uh, that we have darkness within us and we need to come to him who is light in order to be the light of the world. Now, Pastor Daniel, how is God's truth here in this text renewing and reshaping your own heart? Yeah, there's a, a couple of things here that, that bring me comfort. Uh, one is that Jesus also faced uh, discouragement and frustration in the mission that God called him to do. Uh, Verse 3, this is the servant that God will be glorified in. But then verse 4 says, the servant uh, says of himself, uh, I have labored in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And there we see, I think, the real frustration and discouragement that Jesus faced when he was on earth as he faced unbelief, as he faced opposition, as he was coming to his own people to save them, but, but many did not receive him, right? And so Jesus, in his own mission, faced discouragement, yet he says at the second part of verse 4, my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. And so there we see his perseverance in the face of these things. And, and that comforts me because 
you know, God has called me to a certain task here on earth as well. He's called me to be a husband. He's called me to be a father. He's called me to be pastor and a friend. And in all of these areas of my life, I sometimes feel not only inadequate, you know, myself, but also that, you know, sometimes my efforts, my prayers, my working um, is in vain as well. Maybe I don't see the, the fruit of my labors or my prayers being answered in the way that I would like or in the timing, but I'm comforted by Jesus because, you know, we see that God is faithful and we are called to just simply trust him in these things that we're doing and to persevere with that with that knowledge in our hearts and minds that, that God is faithful, that our, our right is with the Lord, that he will be with us in these things. We're reminded with, with Jesus how he labored and spent his strength all the way to the cross and the world said in response, you know, he failed. Mm-hmm. And this was all in vain. And even his disciples wrestled with that. And yet he entrusted himself to him who judges justly mm-hmm. his father. And three days later, he rose again from the dead mm-hmm. as the evidence of the recompense that he waited for, that he had set before him, the joy that was set before him, right? And he entered into his glory. And it is by virtue of Jesus's resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that we can labor trusting that our own efforts and strength spent is not in vain because we are tied and connected to Jesus. And therefore, we belong to the God of resurrection power. Mm-hmm. And so even if it feels like all of our labor and striving is in vain, God is promising us through the resurrection of Jesus that it is not. He will raise us up on the last day and there will be a recompense of glory that is incomparable mm-hmm. with the momentary and light afflictions that we face in this life mm-hmm. as well and the frustrations along the way. Amen, brother. And there, there's another aspect to the comfort i think in this song and it's seen that this servant although he is the one that glorifies god and is faithful that he is actually the one who suffers in the place of his people we see that in verse 7 he is the one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation there we're starting to see some more details about the suffering that this servant will go through he not only suffers with us right going through discouragement but ultimately he suffers for us he lays down his life to suffer and to die, ultimately to satisfy God's justice towards our sins. And how does God bring Israel back to him? How does God bring the nations back to him today? It's through the suffering of the servant. That's comforting for me that that Jesus, although he is faithful to God in all of his ways, he willingly laid down his life. No one took it from him, but he laid it down for sinners like me to bring me and to bring the nations back to God. Yeah, and in that verse there, in verse 7, The Lord is speaking to the servant of the Lord before he entered into his suffering. He says this, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Implied there before you Mm -hmm. in the sense of, yes, you will go through this great suffering. You will be deeply despised and hated by the people. Others will mock you and revile you and utter all kinds of things against you. But in the end, the kings will prostrate themselves before you. They will kneel down before you. And that is what shall happen when Jesus returns again. Now, Pastor Daniel, we've been talking about the way this is comforting to us, this passage. In what ways does this passage here correct you and us Mm. as we listen to it? You know, very much connected to what you just said in regards to kings bowing down before King Jesus. I mean, that is the call to every person right now, right? To humbly confess that Jesus is Lord and to live in such a way that, 
you know, we pledge our allegiance to him every single day and not to the false kings of this earth or the kingdoms of this earth or the kingdoms that we're trying to build. And it corrects me because, you know, I don't always do that. I don't always live with that awareness that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, living for his glory, but I often seek to live for my own glory. I often seek to focus my mind and heart and priorities on, you know, the, the things that are passing away, the kingdoms of man. And this this text corrects me because it's a summons again to to bow down before King Jesus, to acknowledge him. And again, as those, as you mentioned earlier, who are united to this servant, to, to live for him as his lights, to live for him as his servants here on earth who are doing his will. Yeah, that ties in really well with the Lord's Prayer and the second petition, thy kingdom come. Uh, Jesus is calling us, as he says in Matthew six thirty three, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that all other things necessary for our life will be given to us by our good Father in heaven. And in that, he's calling us to lay aside the kingdoms that we are building for our own glory and our own namesake, and instead to recognize that he is king and that he is coming back and that his kingdom will come with him in its fullness when he returns. And when we think about the kingdom of Christ coming into this world, we don't bring it about or usher it in through our own works, our own striving. There's a very specific way in which Jesus has called us to bring the kingdom of God into this world, or to rather participate in the coming of his kingdom. And how how is it primarily that the kingdom of God comes into this world? Yeah, the, the kingdom of God comes through, you know, God's word and spirit. As the word of God goes forth, it creates a people that will call upon the name of the Lord. The word of God even creates his church. In the book of Acts, we see the witness of God's people bearing witness to Christ as the light. And it's actually connected with Isaiah 49 that we see kind of this second layer of fulfillment, as it were, with uh, God's people shining as the light. In Acts 13, we read this. Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, right, speaking of the Jews, since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, there again, the all nations. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and here's Isaiah 49, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Mm. And so it's through that prophetic role of the church. As you mentioned earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are told that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, mm -hmm. a people for his own possession. And that includes us as Gentiles, mm -hmm. right? Now that we've been included by God's grace into his people and his holy nation now, his church, for this purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we have the privilege as those who have been included into the church through the preaching of the gospel, included into the light of God's grace, to then take that message and declare it to others, to share the good news with our neighbors and our family members, our coworkers, etc., trusting that God works through his word 
and that it is through the preaching of the gospel that he brings people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Pastor Daniel, what are some practical takeaways of this passage for the different kinds of people in our congregation? Well, you know, Advent reminds us that, you know, everyone must reckon with who Jesus is. And I know there's some on the fringe that are, you know, not necessarily plugged into the church or have not yet confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, even though they're maybe in the pew every Sunday. And this text and and the Advent season reminds us that, you know, Jesus is the true light of this world. He is the Savior of this world. And we have to reckon with the claims of Jesus and the work of Jesus and who he is right now. Right, Hebrews 1 says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And every human being who hears the message of Christ is accountable for how they respond to the light that has been revealed to them. And, um, you know, how do we know that, that Jesus is that true source of life and hope and relief in this world? As you mentioned earlier, brother, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. It's because of that tomb that is empty that all of the claims of Christmas, all of the claims of Advent are true and that we must um, receive them, that we must bow our knees right now to King Jesus. And so for those on the fringes or for those who are in the pew who have not yet confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, God is summoning you this Advent season uh, to bow your knee humbly before King Jesus to receive light and life in his name. That reminds me of what John says in the opening of his gospel. He says that the light has come into this world, the light of life, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It looked like on that fateful day when Jesus died on the cross that the light that he claimed to have and claimed to be was snuffed out and entirely obliterated by the darkness. But John's declaring that he is, in fact, the light, the light of God, because he continues to shine. The darkness has not overcome it. As John also says in 1 John, his letter, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Mm. And so we have this great confidence that the darkness is leaving, it's diminishing, and that true light of Christ is shining currently Mm. and the light will win in the end we will enter into the triumph of his victory and the fullness of the glory of his light when he returns. Mm -hmm. Amen. Already shining. I love that. Um, You know, as I think of this servant song too, I also think of our covenant children and also our young people. I think of them because in this passage, you know, this servant was prepared for many years um, in his task before his formal ministry. And um, that's just, I think, a word of encouragement to all of us as we're in different seasons of life and especially for, for young children or for young people who are in school. You know, God right now is preparing your mind and your heart for um, the callings that he'll place upon your life later on, whether that be a job or a ministry, whatever the Lord is going to call you to. Um, right now, every single day of your life is a day of preparation for that. Uh, but not only that, even now God is using you to be that witness, using you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and um, is already um, working through you uh, to be lights for him. So don't neglect the time of preparation that you're in, but also don't neglect already what God is doing in you and through you. We don't always think about this, but the fact that the Son of God, God himself, entered into human history to fulfill his mission, his task of being the Messiah and the Savior of the world. 
He entered not as a grown man already. He didn't just show up as a grown up, Mm -hmm. but he entered as a little baby. Mm -hmm. And he, Luke says in his gospel, Luke chapter two, verse 40, and the child referring to Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. The fact that he went through the entire process of being a baby Mm -hmm. and held by his mother and growing up and learning his alphabet Mm -hmm. and uh, learning how to walk and learning what it means to obey his parents and going through that whole those all those different phases and stages of development it shows that god highly values that Mm -hmm. that he sees that as important and that also means that for you children that god sees you he values you right where you are he sees that what you are doing is important and he calls you to be faithful in the small things that God has put before you now in preparation for what he has in store for you in the future as well. Mm-hmm. So Pastor Daniel, what in this passage calls us to love those that are different from us culturally? That's a great question. And, you know, I think this passage just highlights the fact that, you know, we are to be a church that is concerned that the nations would come to Christ. You know, again, Isaiah says, it's too little a thing that you would just bring back one nation for me, Mm. but that you are to be the light for all nations. And so we think about our mission at Ontario URC, we think about our mission as the church in general, that this is the call. This is why we're still left here on earth by King Jesus to, to be his prophetic witness, to be his lights who are pointing people right now to Jesus before he comes, right? And so we're pointing our neighbors here in Ontario to Christ or wherever God has placed you in the neighborhoods and in the areas he's placed you, you are put there uh, to be that witness to all nations around you so that they would come back to God through the finished work of Christ. And so this is reminding us of our mission as a church, right? This is reminding us of, you know, what God is doing right now by the power of his spirit. And thankfully, as you mentioned, like we get to see God even fulfilling this word every Lord's Day when we come together as people from different backgrounds and social classes and genders, right? All the things that make us different. We're united in the cross of Jesus and the work of this servant. And so we're reminded again of the mission and reminded of what God is already doing in our midst. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul's ministry in the book of Acts to the Gentiles and also to the Jews and all of those that he came encounter with. And we hear the way he thought about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, For though I am free from all, he's saying, even though I'm free to be myself in one sense, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. And isn't that a reflection of Jesus, the Lord who was free from all, the sovereign God Almighty, under no obligation at all to any of us as his creatures, and yet he became a servant to all, going so far as to die on the cross in order to save all those whom the Father had given to him from among the nations. And that is a scandal of Christmas, we can say, right? The lofty creator became a lowly creature in love in order to share with his creatures the blessing of his glorious grace. Which reminds me of the second stanza of Hark the Herald Angel Sing, which says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, laid in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, 
Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The scandalous love of God, how far low he went in order to bring us salvation and to raise us up out of the dust, out of the ashes, out of our sin, misery, and bring us into the light of his glory. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Daniel, as we wrap this up, which verse would you recommend we commit to memory from this passage? I think the uh, second part of Isaiah 49, 6 is a great one. It says again this, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know, uh, we're kind of reminded of this during the Christmas season when, you know, it's winter time and it's cold and it's dark and uh, the days are a little bit shorter and the darkness is there more. Into that darkness, we get to see Christmas lights, right? We get to see lights on, on people's houses and on our Christmas trees and, you know, lights everywhere, even in the stores. These things remind us of this truth, that Jesus is the true light. And as you mentioned, Pastor Taylor, that true light is already shining and the darkness is passing away. And so may that give you, dear listener, encouragement this Advent season as you remember that Jesus is not only the light of the nations, but he is the light for you as well to bring you back to God. And so thank you for joining us for this midweek musing, and may God bless you during this Advent season.